0: 2 Chronicles 21 through 12. Now it happened after this that the Moabites and the Ammonites, together with other Ammonites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Aram, and are already in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid, so he resolved to seek Adonai, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Judah assembled to seek help from Adonai. Indeed, they came from all the cities of Judah to seek Adonai. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Jerusalem and Judah in the house of Adonai in front of the new courtyard and said, Adonai, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can stand against you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of your friend Abraham forever? They settled in, and it they settled in it and built you a temple there for your name, saying, If calamity comes against us, the sword of judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in the house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear us and deliver us. Now behold, the sons of Ammon, and Moab, and Mount Seir, whose land you did not allow Israel to invade when they came from the land of Egypt. Instead, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. Now behold how they repay us by coming to drive us out of your possession that you gave us in, as an inheritance. Our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we have no power to face this great multitude that is attacking us. For we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you.
1: Thank you, Morgan. You know, every, every so often I feel like I am in a, uh, a different universe. Do You ever f- have that feeling? Maybe it's just us who are um, over uh, older than 16. Um, Yesterday, the doorbell rang, and uh, Isaiah went out. Our grandson went out to get the door, and there was no one there. There's nothing. And he comes back, and he repeats. Uh, he, he gives the following message, ding-dong-ditch. I go, what? What did you say? Well, he knows his grandpa, so he had to explain to me then that's uh, the one of the newest pranks that's developing where you come up to someone's door you ring the doorbell and then you scoot uh, ding dong ditch um I, I i don't know about you but that just doesn't warm the cockles of my heart and uh then uh, earlier this week, there was something that's somewhat more sinister. I went up to Fort Collins to see some friends and to share with a uh, uh, a jewish fellow and i 'll be telling you more about that later. But the wife told me that um, earlier that weekend uh, in the evening, she looked out. Her front window and there was bright light shining into her house and there were people on the other side of her fence with guns. And then she got a call from the police, uh, turned out to be the SWAT team, saying that her son called them saying that he had her, her husband and daughters tied up in the basement and that he wanted money. And she says, none of that is reality. My husband is out of town in lost wages. Um, My daughters are not living with us. And my son is in uh, in a concert. And then the sergeant who made the call explained to her that this is part of a fad that is sweeping the nation called swatting pranks. And I was told that it, during the past year, there have been 500 cases of, of this. And I'm looking at this and saying, okay, uh, what universe am I, I must be in an alternate universe uh, or different planet, um, different future, and it, it, for me, it has been part of the uh, uncomfortable reality coming to terms with the fact that we are moving in a direction as a society in, in, in some uh, directions we've never been before. And... Um, you know, very much of a dystopian kind of chaotic, where there are no boundaries, no limits, you do what you want to do because what's right for me is right for me, what's right for you is right for you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then I realized that the answers for that come not from the future, but they come from the past. In other words, you and I don't know precisely what things are going to look like a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. However, we know that regardless of what does or doesn't take place, the Lord is with us. The Lord has always been with his people. And regardless of how Meshuggah and insane things do get, God is somehow able to manage things. And I say somehow with quotation marks, he's obviously able to do that. And so for me, uh, the past couple of weeks, and we'll be doing more of this, uh, we're going to be looking and have been looking at the righteous kings of Judah uh, because it is very instructive. It, It really gives us a lot of clues of how God works with people through all kinds of circumstances. Uh, Last Shabbat, we looked at the life of Asa, um, how that Asa was brought into a society that was absolutely godless, and we're talking about three generations after David, that part of what he had to do was clean up the totem poles that were dedicated to the goddess Asherah, the goddess of fertility, in the land of Judah. That he had to get rid of the male homosexual uh, prostitutes, the so-called sacred prostitutes, kedashim, that were part of this kind of uh, fertility worship, and he had to get rid of all kinds of um, idols that people worshipped on the high hills, and that for Asa, this was. A major part of the spiritual cleaning that he had had to undertake, and now we're going to be looking at the life of jehoshaphat uh his son, and part of the picture that we're going to see with Jehoshaphat is that he learned a lot of good things from his father and and r- reality as as you may know um our lives and how our character is shaped begins with the formative experiences that we have in, in our family situation. I, I'm not telling you anything that's dramatically new. Um, the way our parents are in a major way determines who we are today. And yes, I know as, as you grow up, you say, I'm never going to be like her, or I'm never going to be like him. And guess what? As you get older, you find out that you're more and more like her, more and more like him. But what defines all of that is the fact that God is in a picture. And because God is in a picture, you know, A, he has plans. B, he has a power to work his plans out and where there are things in you that you have acquired from your family, your parents that are not so great God is able to come in and do house cleaning and redeem and restore and take the good things and strengthen those you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater so in the case of Jehoshaphat, he had lots of good things. Um, he was 35 years old when when his father died, and he took over the uh, the throne in Judah. Um, part of the picture is that the last five years of his father's life was not particularly pretty, because as I mentioned last Shabbat, Asa fell off the wagon the last five years of Asa's life, he got kind of goofy. You know, uh, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. You know what I'm talking about? You don't know what I'm talking about. You're half asleep. Um, look at all kinds of examples of people who were raised up from obscurity, whether believers, not believers, what kind of environment, what kind of field of endeavor. And you see that the ones who were raised up a little too quickly, much of the time they ended up coming and crashing and burning. Sort of like the Greeks had a mythology about uh, a man, Icarus and Daedalus, um, who were escaping and, and the dad made wings and they flew and the sun, Daedalus, flew too close to the sun, then came crashing down. Meaning that, Um, you see that pattern in people's lives over and over and over again. You certainly saw that in Asa's life. Um, and this is what the Word of God says to it. If you are convinced that you're standing real strong, be careful that you don't start to slip. And so what we see is the fact that, um, Those of us who learn to struggle and persevere and hang in there and succeed through the difficult times, through the times of poverty, sometimes end up crashing and burning through the times of riches. When things come and we're doing exceptionally well and we're successful, that's when we get giddy and goofy and we lose perspective. That happened with Asa, and to some extent, to a much later extent, happened with Jehoshaphat. But first of all, I want to start with the good part. Jehoshaphat developed an awesome relationship with God, just he and God. And if you turn all the way back to chapter 17 of 2 Chronicles, I want to skip around a little bit and would ask that you follow with me. 2 Chronicles 17:3 The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years he walked in the ways of his father uh, in, in the ways his father David had followed he did not consult the Baal's but he sought the God of his father and followed the commands his commands rather than the practices of Israel his heart was devoted to the Lord to the ways of the Lord. There are three verbs that are significant, three words of action. He walked, Uh, obviously in scripture that has to to do with making a choice to walk in God's ways rather than your ways. It's a deliberate choice. Uh, Secondly, he he sought. In other words, he looked for God's answers. Um, rather than trying to get answers from somebody else. And thirdly, he was devoted um, to the ways of the Lord. And that's a very odd expression that has to do with he was uh, high. In other words, um, high up on Jehoshaphat's agenda was his commitment to to be devoted emotionally. So you see... uh, A choice of the will, you see the mind, you see the emotions involved. Just like every Shabbat when we recite the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Every part of our being is involved. So Jehoshaphat continues the process of uh, house cleaning. And as I mentioned last Shabbat, idolatry in Judah, was pervasive and recurring. It's sort of like a, a bad weed that keeps coming back and again and again and again, sort of like bindweed. And so in his generation, he also had to get rid of idolatry. Um, why so much idolatry in Judah? Well, think of it this way. God does not come through for us for some reason in our time, He doesn't deliver what we want when we want it. So what do we do? We turn to other gods. Other gods being ourselves. I'm going to do it. God is not going to help me. Or we turn to other people. They will help me. Or we find some other way where God is squeezed out of the picture. So idolatry is alive and well in our day, right? Keeps coming back again and again and again. Then part of the picture also is in this chapter in verse 9, verse 7. The third year of his reign, he sent out his officials to teach. And and all the way down to 9, he sent them to teach from the Torah. They went all around the towns in Judah and taught the people. And at some point, Jehoshaphat himself went out. Um, and worked on um, influencing the people to turn towards the Lord, using his royal authority to do that. And he turned the heart of the people back to God. He was also very effective in lots of other ways, uh, administratively and, and militarily and so on. He set up a justice system in Judah, and what stood out to me was that the justice system that that he set up, he very explicitly said to each of the judges, make sure that you rule in a way that honors and pleases God and is according to his standards. In other words, have the fear of God in you. So he's looking good. And so he has the smile of God upon him. And by the way, this is a basic principle that we find throughout Scripture from beginning to end. That is simply this. God blesses obedience. God honors our obedience. That's beginning to end. Uh, Doesn't change. And so as you make a commitment to honor the Lord to obey the principles he lays out before you, you know without a shadow of a doubt that you have God's smile upon you. doesn't mean that you're going to get all the uh, uh, zillions of, of, of dollars in the world and, and have all kinds of wealth and influence, etc., but you will have God's smile upon you. That's the basic teaching of the Word of God. And that's what happens with Jehoshaphat. In chapter 17 uh, of 2 Chronicles, the Lord established the kingdom under his control. Um, Verse 10, the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the land surrounding Judah, so they didn't make war with Jehoshaphat. Um, Verse 12, Jehoshaphat became more and more powerful. Then you go into chapter 18, and verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor. You see that that phrase, he had great wealth and honor, is repeated a couple of times. Remember that in the scripture, when something is repeated, it is designed to get your attention. Hello? Did, were you listening? Were you asleep? Were you listening? Okay, I'm going to say it again so that you get it. So we're looking at the story of this guy and we're seeing that what is repeated here is that he's becoming more and more wealthy, powerful, and influential. And if you're like me, that that's when your antenna are raised and you say, "Uh uh-oh, there may be some trouble here. Uh, As Paul tells us, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And at the end of verse 1 of chapter 18, Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor and, are you listening? He allied himself with Ahab by marriage. And you go, what? This is Ahab and Jezebel? You know, Ahab was the one who introduced Baal worship to, Ju- to Israel? and killed lots and lots of the prophets of God. What got into your head, Jehoshaphat? And you realize that as you are successful and you gain power and you gain wealth, part of what happens is you get giddy and you lose focus and you start to make funky decisions. We're not really quite sure what happened here. He may have done some strategic calculation and saying, you know, if Israel and Judah are allied together, then we will not have to worry about Egypt coming from the south or Syria coming from the north. We don't know exactly what happened. But obviously part of the picture is that Jehoshaphat is being blinded because part of the picture, folks, is that he gave his son to marry uh, Ahab and Jezebel's daughter and their daughter influenced Jehoshaphat's son in the wrong direction and that went on from one generation to the other. And so this is something that you see in his life, you see in all of our lives, folks. Because reality is, none of us pursues an absolutely straight course in our relationship with God and how we follow him. We're sort of like, somewhat like the stock market. You know, sort of up and down and hopefully more up than down. Um, And we make mistakes and there are consequences for the foolish mistakes that we make. And all of us All of us, at some point or another, make mistakes, make decisions that are not real great. I'll leave it at that. And so, here, uh, and and I just mentioned it briefly in chapter 18, we see that Jehoshaphat comes down. uh, By the way, in Israel, anywhere from Jerusalem, you come down because Jerusalem is the highest point. He comes down to Ahab. Ahab throws him a big party and bamboozles him to come to war against the Syrians. And in his favor, you have to say that Jehoshaphat said, "Wait, wait, wait a minute. Okay, I want to hear what God has to say." And uh, Ahab says, "No problem." He calls his four hundred prophets. We'll all say, Yeah, 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 yeah. Go to war, go to war. And Jehoshaphat says, Well, wait a minute, I, I'm smelling a rat here. And he calls a guy that w- spoke the word of God, Micaiah, and Micaiah said, If you go to war, this is what's gonna happen. You, Ahab, are gonna die, and a bunch of your people are, are gonna die as well. This is part of the deception and foolishness. That we see in the case of Jehoshaphat, he knew what was going to happen and he decided to go to war anyways. And yet, God protected him. And this is for me what gives me security, folks. My security is not in the fact that every single day I'm going to make the right decision. I wish that were true. I pray a lot for wisdom, a lot wisdom because I know I don't have it and so on a given day we have the security that God has our back even when we make decisions that are questionable and God had Jehoshaphat's back he could have gotten killed he wasn't killed he goes on to make other foolish alliances and God somehow protects him. Why? Because, this is not cheap grace, because Jehoshaphat, early on in his life, was committed to seeing to it that God was number one on his strategy, on his agenda. He turned himself towards God, and for for most of his 25 year reign, he actually followed that in that direction. So, a simple um, moral for, for us is yes, we may make mistakes, poor judgment uh, judgment calls. However, as we are committed to God's reign, God's control, God's lordship in our life, we know that even when we make questionable mistakes, (coughs) questionable decisions, that the Lord will somehow keep us going and direct us and move us in the right direction. That helps with some degree of sanity, doesn't it? Thank you, Michael. (laughs) And so we don't see any of these righteous kings having a perfect record. In fact, what the Word of God does for us, it shows their warts. It doesn't airbrush. It doesn't give us a perfect a perfect picture of any of them. And I, for one, am glad for that because I know I do not have a perfect record. Just ask my wife, she'll tell you. And the section that Morgan read to us then is sort of like the glory days for Jehoshaphat. W- we saw the difficult parts. And now come the glory days. The glory days come, folks, because way back here, early on, in the beginning of his reign, Jehoshaphat was determined that he was, was going to follow God hook, line, and sinker. That he was going to pursue God with every ounce of his being, and that for the most part he did, so now there is a crisis, and folks, crises determine or crises uh, give us an opportunity, or crises show how tight how tightly connected we are with God. as we grow. In our relationship with God, and as our relationship with God strengthens and becomes tighter, then when crises do come, what they will do is they will serve to strengthen us and strengthen our relationship with God rather than cause us to become flattened. If you remember, that's what what, what I said about Elaine and her situation of recovery. Elaine feels that despite everything that's been going on that God is using that situation to strengthen her. And that's what we see here in chapter 20. You have a massive army coming against Jehoshaphat. He's had large armies to deal with before, but this is Hamon Rav, a multitude that was beyond counting. It was confederacy that was huge, and they were coming... And Jehoshaphat founds, finds out that there may be 50 miles from Jerusalem. And he doesn't freak. He doesn't try to figure things out. He does what, for the most part, had been his standard MO, his operating procedure, and that is close the door and have a heart to heart conversation with God. Uh, and it's a powerful prayer in, uh, here in chapter 20. <clears throat> and I want to point out a couple of things. First of all, in verse 6, he said, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. In other words, basic reality is, yes, I've got zillions of enemies coming. But for you, that's not a problem. Secondly, he points to the fact that there's a commitment, there's a covenant relationship between God and Israel. Verse 9, if calamity comes, we will stand in your presence and we will cry out to you and you will hear and save. In other words, he says to God, God, th- this is your, your MO, that when we stand here and cry out to you, you will respond to us and you will deliver us. Absolute dependence. In verse 12, Lord, we don't know. Well, we have no power to face this army. We don't know what to do. In other words, we don't have the strength. And we are clueless. Do you ever feel that way sometimes? You're in situations that are way over your head, and you don't even know what kind of questions to ask. That's where Jehoshaphat is. And in that particular situation, we have what I would call a Holy Spirit-enriched environment. What do I mean by that? that it's sort of like a spiritual domino effect. When you have one person who is strongly connected to God, it promotes and encourages other people who then encourage other people who encourage other people. That's what we have here. This is one of the most fantastic examples of mutual encouragement that we find throughout scripture. Because Jehoshaphat prays before the people. By the way, he invited everybody to come, and it was an offer people could not refuse, but seriously, they, they responded. And so he prays, and then uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon uh, one of the prophets, and in verse 14, 15, 16, this prophet says, Stand firm, do not be afraid, the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bows with his face to the ground. This is verse 18. So all the people see that the king is bowing down. They bow down and worship. And then the Levites, whose job it is to worship like our wonderful Levites and priests every Shabbat, they uh, sing and, and praise in a loud voice. And then Jehoshaphat makes this statement. I want you to focus on that. Verse 20. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. I find that especially powerful because it is a play on words. In Hebrew... Believe and you'll be upheld are very closely related. Ta'aminu is believe. Te amenu you'll be upheld. In other words, as you take the step to say, God, I am trusting you fully that you have your hand in the situation and you're not going to see me fall and crash and burn as you do that then God will do his part and he will upheld you and that's the amazing part of this story folks it involves both people and it involves God and this is always 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 part of the picture in our life anything of substance that takes place in our, lo- our life is collaborative between God doing his part and we responding Sometimes we reach out to God and He responds. Sometimes He reaches out to us and we respond. However it happens. It's always, always collaborative. Ta'aminu v'te'amenu. Believe and you'll be upheld. In other words, if you don't believe, you will not be upheld. But the fact that you believe, you're saying to God, God, I'm depending on you. I'm expecting you. Either you come through Or I'm toast. And that's what Jehoshaphat is saying. And they get up the next morning. They go to to war. And they don't have the Marines in front. They have the worship leaders in front. Who are singing and praising God. And you say, what's the matter with you people? Are you a little Meshuggi? Or much Meshuggi? You're facing this huge multitude of people who are out to eat your lunch, to nuke you, do whatever. And you're not doing military strategy here. You're putting these singers in front. And the singers are singing loudly. It's not one of these, okay, God, we have no choice but to to pray and, and worship you. They're singing loudly. You say, what's the matter with you people? Well, they, they have taken a dive into God's security net, folks. I don't know if you've been there. I have. I think a number of us have in situations where you know you either dive into God's security safety net or else you're going to go Splat. And what what I've always found intriguing about this is God comes through. However, he doesn't come through a second before they start singing. As they begin to sing, God unleashes his power. Now, this is not to imply that before they began, God was out in the Bahamas somewhere and taking a snooze. Remember, folks, God is always active, always at work, much of it invisibly in the heavenlies. At some point, he pulls back the curtains and says, hello, I'm here. And that's precisely what happens. As they began to sing, not a, a second before, God does all these wacky things, he gets th- One group of people, uh, their enemies fighting against the other people. By the time everything is done, they kill each other. And the people of Judah come and they just, it's literally a cakewalk. So the point is, here in this situation, we have a king who obviously made mistakes and paid for those mistakes. However, for the most part, Jehoshaphat's 25 year reign was based on one reality. The reality is it all began with him and his relationship with God. And it worked, worked its way outwardly. And folks, this is reality for us. You and I don't live in a bubble. We don't live on an island. We live in a society of all kinds of people. And God wants to impact folks of one kind or another. But he will not do that unless he gets a hold of us and really gets a hold of us to where we say, God, I'm here. Unconditionally. You have the full run of the house, my house, including... The closets that have spiders and cockroaches and, and snakes, you have f- full run of those as well. And God does that, and, and, and we are cleaned up and redeemed, and our love for God goes deeper and deeper, and guess what happens? It overflows and makes an impact in people around us. In the case of Jehoshaphat, because he had this kind of authority, it impacted the entire nation. In our case, since we're not kings and queens, we don't have that kind of authority, but we have an impact, folks. We do have authority as Yeshua's disciples, as his representatives, as his ambassadors in every area of life where we go. And we sell ourselves short because we say, Who am I? I'm nothing. And Yes and no. We're nothing in in and of ourselves, but we are hugely significant because we are bearers of the Word of God. We are representatives of God. And God custom designs those situations in our life where our back is up against the wall. And that's where we shine. That's where our relationship with God is proven for what it is. Are we tight with God? Have we developed a, rela- a growing relationship with God that goes deeper and deeper? Or are we fairly indifferent, fairly casual about who God is in our life. And trust me, folks, in crisis situations, that will become evident very, very clear. Because we either go where we are programmed to go, and that is depending on God, because we have cultivated that through our life, or else we flail, and look for all kinds of answers from other sources because that's what we have developed as well. Jehoshaphat's example is an awesome example of both the good and the difficult. And as we learn what it means to depend upon God, then he continues to work that in in our life. Let's pray. Lord God, we bless your name. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing patience and mercy with us. Especially, Lord, through all the times when we seem to be indifferent to who you are and what it is you want to do in our life. Thank you, Lord, even for how you use the difficult circumstances to get our attention, to remind us who we are in you, and to provide opportunities for us to grow and become stronger men and women of God. and That's what we desire, Lord God. I pray that you speak to each one of us, regardless of our particular circumstances, and give us, Lord God, an additional measure of faith, Lord God, to trust you more fully in whatever situation we are. We ask this all in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.